Hello, 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 Cheesehead Hangover Packer fans. Welcome back to this week's episode of Cheesehead Hangover. You may have noticed that we were a little bit delayed in getting this week's episode out. Uh, we're, we're busy people. We have busy lives. Uh, first off, welcome back to DC, Sarah. Say hello to the people. Hi, people. Thanks for bearing with us. I had a uh, work training because this is not a paying gig that we're doing here um, all week this week. And so this is the first chance we've had to sit down together and uh, debrief after a really exciting game against the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, definitely. Um, For those of you that don't know, a little bit of our personal lives, we both live in D.C. and we work in D.C. and... It's a, it's a, it's not a bad place to be a transplant Packer fan. There's a, there's a good Packer bar we often frequent called Hamilton's. And while Sarah was away at training, I was able to uh, frequent the bar with about 200 of my uh, closest friends and acquaintances, and we had a jolly good time cheering on the Packers win at Dallas. It was a great win, and I have to say that I was wrong. I predicted the Packers to lose, but we'll get into that more. You got anything to say, Sarah? Wow. What a weekend for running backs. If we can, the state of Wisconsin can have a weekend like this with their running backs every weekend for the rest of the season. Um, Shout out to Jonathan Taylor. You'll you may walk home with the Heisman and bigger shout out to Aaron Jones. Um, We will just love you more than we already do. Yeah, and uh, of course, Aaron Jones uh, had the game of his lifetime, to be honest. Uh, He went home with uh, four touchdowns this week. Um, I played against him in fantasy in both of my teams that I have and promptly lost both games, but I was a happy loser at that point. And then, of course, uh, Jonathan Taylor uh, for the Badgers, he had a great a great week for the Wisconsin Badgers, scored five touchdowns. I believe also four rushing touchdowns and one passing. So it, a little bit of consistency between the two. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, even though it was the Kent State Golden Flashes, there certainly were a lot of flashes, but for the Badgers, not for the Kent State <laughs> Golden Flashes, ironically enough. But yeah, certainly a great week for running backs and... I was honestly happily surprised to see Aaron Jones go off in in Dallas, Texas, and he's a Texas boy. He grew up there. He went to the University of Texas, El Paso. He won the NFC Offensive Player of the Week. You can't help but be happy for the guy. Yeah, and you, you also can't help but think that he does have some sort of home field advantage when he plays in Texas and Dallas. I mean, the first time he played there a couple, couple years back, his, his rookie season, that was his kind of his coming out game. It was the first game he, he ran big, especially at key junctures, and was a big part of the Packer victory back in 2017 down there. Um, and he did it again. Um, yeah, he you said, know? I mean, he said... We'll take he, it. Yeah, we'll take it. I mean, he said he had uh, about 30 of his closest friends and family there, and as a humble guy raised in kind of a military background, his father was in the military, they moved around a lot. Having friends and family is important to him, so I am not surprised at all he had a great game, and I'm super-duper happy for the guy. 
I um, mean, look at his stat line. 19 carries, 107 yards, 5.6 yards per carry average, seven receptions for an additional 75 yards. And, you know, talk about, you know, everything going his way, even those direct snaps, um, which we ended up finding out afterwards, were just a little a little wild coming from uh, Lucas, Patrick, Lucas Patrick as he was subbing for Corey Lindsley. Um, direct to Aaron Jones, just grab and go. Why bother? having Aaron Rodgers hand you the ball when you can just get it straight from the center. Hey, maybe they'll build in that wrinkle and give teams a little bit something extra to scout uh, for weeks moving forward here. Um, So we'll get into the Packers and Cowboys game here in a second. Um, The one other game I kind of wanted to highlight before we get into Packers-Cowboys and then talk about Lions-Packers is the Colts and the Chiefs game. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts played the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, and the Colts beat the Chiefs 19-13. to And it's not what you would really expect when you go into that game and see those two opponents there. No, um, I have to admit, that was uh, one of a few games last week that did catch me a bit off guard. Um I mean, it caught me off guard almost as much as the Redskins having a seven-point seven lead on the Patriots there for a half minute, but or I guess half a quarter. Um, but, of course, that wasn't sustained like, like this was. Um, but, you know, I think it's important to remember how much parity exists in the mm-hmm. NFL. And, you know, you can't count an opponent out. Yeah, um, it's, it's really true. And I think the reason I wanted to bring the Colts and the Chiefs game up is because of uh, two words, situational football. And I think situational football is key to why the Colts upset the Chiefs in a lot of people's minds and why the Packers upset the Cowboys in a lot of people's minds. I mean, even in my mind, I thought the Cowboys were going to win that game. Cowboys were favored by four and a half going into the game. And there are probably a lot of turned heads. Uh, for the Colts and the Chiefs game, the, it really came down to running the football. Uh, the Colts, for those of you that don't know, have an elite offensive line. They drafted a guy who's an absolute monster last year, Quentin Nelson, who had an all-pro type of year in his first year in the league last year. Uh, and in the game, they had 45 runs against the Chiefs. And that's a lot. Usually somewhere in a football game, an offense will get the chance to run somewhere between 70, maybe less than that, that even plays. So yeah, having... 60 to 70 is usually what I think about. Is yeah. A typical so, game. Yeah. So having 45 runs and a four yards per rush average is really impressive. Um, overall, uh, the... Colts had 74 plays in total, and the Chiefs had only 57 plays. Um, The time differential in the game, the Colts had the ball for 37 minutes, and the Chiefs only had it for 23. And when you think about these two teams, the first thing you probably think of when you go into the matchup is Patrick Mahomes. He's the league's reigning MVP. He's really the face of the NFL in a lot of respects. Um, And the Colts did the thing that you want to do against any team. They stopped that team's strongest player. And they did it by keeping him off the field, 
as evidenced by running the ball so much, having some success running the ball, and limiting how many opportunities Patrick Mahomes had on the football field. And the Colts also got pressure on them. They had four sacks, eight QB QB hits. And you may say, well, I'm going to bring this up while we talk about this game. Well, we face the Chiefs later on in the year, and it's going to be one of the primetime matchups and possibly one of the games of the entire NFL season. So I think it's important to take a second and look at these type of matchups because nobody really would have picked the Colts coming into this game to beat them. However, they did it by limiting Patrick Mahomes, who's also been dealing with an ankle injury, and making sure that when he was on the field, he was not necessarily comfortable. And I think this could potentially be a formula to beat the Chiefs if the Packers can continue to show that they can run the football. Yeah, and I mean, I think that was part of the most impressive thing about Aaron Jones' performance, because the last couple of weeks, he has struggled. Um, you know, last week against the Eagles, uh, you know, we, Aaron Rodgers was the rusher for the, of the football, uh, the week before that it was Jamal Williams. Um, and the week before that we struggled. Um, so he's not had hit, you know, his yards per carry was down. Um, you know, he just wasn't, it just wasn't clicking. Um, but partially, you know, uh, after the game, there was a lot of analysis about, analysis about how the Packers had changed their blocking scheme, offensive lines blocking scheme, and how it just worked in this context. And, you know, we saw the Aaron Jones that we've kind of come per- to be familiar with, having a over five yard per carry average, um, you know, busting for big plays, quick cuts, cutting back, making it and just making yards happen. Um, and it was, you know, it was good to see that they're finding a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a big part of it is there's, this is still a new offense mm-hmm. and there's a lot to figure out of how to take the players we have, the skills we have, the scheme we have and figuring out how they fit together best. I think the Packers have started to figure out how they fit together or can fit together, but there's still that room for improvement. We're still a long way from you know, the ceiling of what this offense can be. I think we're really just seeing, beginning to see where the floor should be. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of room for growth. That's true. And I mean, it's also nice to see just that the Packers scored over 30 points this game. And that's their highest total for the year at 34 points. And it's been growth every week for the most part. And having growth every week is the way you want to be if you're a playoff team. Um Okay, so let's let's get into the Packers and the Cowboys game a little bit more deeper. Uh, I, for one, want to start with, we've talked a little bit about Aaron Jones. We'll get back to the offense of the Packers. I want to start with the Packers defense against the Cowboys offense because I think this is really where we won the game in terms of situational football. What was your take on the Packers defense versus the Cowboys offense? You know, I mean, the turnovers, all three interceptions were really exciting. And there were even turnovers left out on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in particular, I'm thinking of when Dallas was getting down, I think it was in the fourth quarter, getting down towards their goal line. They fumbled, but it was a false start, so they d- it didn't count. And then there was the play literally right after that was an interception that got called back on a penalty. And so, you know, three was great. 
and there were even more that were left out there. Um, but what really struck me in this game in particular was actually the sacks that um, the Packers had, specifically that the Smiths had. Granted, they had all of the Packers sacks in this game. Um, you know, Zedarius with two and Preston with one. Um, but what really struck me was that, you know, these sack, those sacks in particular were just as timely as those turnovers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first one knocked Dallas out of field goal range, mm-hmm. um, which became really critical um, late in the game to keep it at two scores to keep them out of it. Um, all the points the Packers kept off the board, um, missed field goals, knocking them back out of field goal range, um, became critical to maintaining that two two possession lead at the end. Um, but even some of the later ones in the game were just on key third down plays and forcing uh, Dallas into situations where they either couldn't go for it or, you know, we're going to have to punt mm-hmm. or really just, you know, ended the drive mm-hmm. in different ways. And, um, you know, sacks are fun and we kind of, they're fun to watch them get and they're fun to, you know, see the other player just or other team just pushed back. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, you know, in this game, it, I think they were just, they were so timely in their incurrence. Um, but they, I thought they were really the defensive the un, unsung key of the game that really propped up this team when it needed it. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, and I thought it was, I thought one thing we learned about this defensive performance was from Zadarius Smith. If, if you were sitting, having a couple beers, watching this game, you might have gotten frustrated with Darius Smith, not necessarily because of his performance, but because he was on the field three times, laying on the ground, looking like he had an injury and causing the heart rates of uh, all the Packers fans to rise a little bit, being concerned about, is he okay? He had the injury earlier in the year. You're worried about maybe him re-aggravating it that sort of thing but I go back to thinking about an earlier press conference interview where he is very clear he wants to be out on the field and he's got tough things out and I think that is a good example from a captain on defense to show character and to really let the young guys see the character of this team and have a really good person to model that character off of Um, so I thought that was one thing that we learned about this team Zadarius is definitely one of the top leaders on this team and he's going to show toughness fighting through injuries and still being able to perform that said I don't want to see him on the ground anymore no um you know I during the during the game I think I had three small panic attacks every time he was on the ground because he he is the leader of this defense. He's the, the, the defense's self-appointed leader, but he also, um, you know, he's leading the team in sacks. He's leading the defense out there, out front, in the trenches, um, and you don't want to lose that, especially because I, I, right now the team is still gelling. It's still coming together, and I think needs that leadership. Um, but... You know, after after having now four days to reflect on it, you know, I kind of wonder if he isn't, you know, just playing it smart, especially because he did have the tweak earlier in the season. He's not 100%. I mean, I think no player in the NFL 
who's been playing and starting the games right now is 100%. A lot There's of no a lot way. a lot of guys in the NFL always say after week 2 you're never going to be 100% for the rest of the year. Exactly. And you can't be when you're taking that sort of punishment play after play after play after play week after week. Um so in hindsight I kind of wonder if he isn't just playing it smart knowing after those three plays something happened um things aren't quite right mm-hmm. and instead of just jumping up and going taking a minute to just let the training staff come out readjusting you know his taping his braces in the knee brace not braces not teeth braces obviously um but uh and and having you know not just you know having also the leadership to recognize that it behooves me to double check this mm-hmm. and not just to go into the next play because maybe, maybe he can, but mm-hmm. it's better for him not to, because I mean, let's, let's be honest. There's probably an injury that occurs on a, of some sort that occurs on every NFL snap. I think most guys, of the time it's probably just a bruise. Guys, guys get bumps and bruises all the time. <laughs> not, you know, a rip tendon or rip muscle or broken bone. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, you know, I think it also kind of shows, it may be showing also how smart he is as a player. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think both he and Preston have really responded to some of the comments that apparently were stated before the game. Um, but yeah, and there is I, leadership on that statement. Yeah, and obviously we have to call out the comments that were made before the game. Uh, Ray Lewis, one of the greatest linebackers of all time, former Baltimore Raven. Played with Zedarius, didn't he? For played for, I believe, is Zedarius's first for year season. in the year was yeah. Ray's last year in the league. Um, called out the Packers defense on one of the talking head shows and said essentially that it's a defense that lacks leadership up front. Leadership up front. And you could definitely tell after the game and in the performance that they had that Zadarius and Preston took that personally, which they should, and they let that fire build uh, after the game. I believe the Smiths talked about how they uh, printed out some pieces of paper and uh, hung up some quotes in the locker room of uh, some comments that were made. Uh, by uh, one Mr. Uh, Ray Lewis. And, you know, it, it gave them that fire. I mean, sometimes you've got to play with anger. That's part of the game. Everyone talks about having a chip on your shoulder. And you that know chip what? chip is real. Chip is real. And uh, Zadarius even talked about it in terms of his snap time. I mean, he was even behind Terrell Suggs for a long time. He was in the Ravens' offense. And this is really the first season where he gets the majority of the snap count in that linebacker position group. And he showed that he deserved it a long time ago. And now he's finally getting it. Yeah. And I mean, when his teammate from the Baltimore Ravens came over, um, I'm blanking on who that was. Tim Williams. Tim Williams and talking about how the chains are off. Mm. Um, The chains are off both of them. And um, to, and, and, you know, not, talking about the Ravens organization, although I do think the two of them have some, some probably personal issues with that, with, with the organization. But I think it's more the, um, the, the expectation that you've been under someone because, you know, being deeper, lower on the depth chart, um, 
and and have and be and finally having that 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 above having people above you on the depth chart pulled off mm-hmm. allowing you to really just play as the player you are but um you want to get the chance to just show who you are as exactly. a player and you want to you want to show that you can perform and if you don't get the opportunity you're never it's going to fester and the question's going to be in your mind and you're going to want that opportunity and getting that for Zadarius has been great in Green Bay, and I hope the same for Tim Williams because looking up Tim Williams' tape, he was a third—he was a third-round pick, fairly high pick. And the thing with him, everyone talks about, is he has all the physical characteristics to be an elite pass rusher, but just hasn't shown it on the field yet. Yeah, and um, you know, you know, I just. I really think it comes back to to Zadarius and Preston, um, and I think Ray Lewis's comments are ridiculous. Um, I mean, it's Ray Lewis, so they carry a lot of weight. Um, but if you really just watch, especially Zadarius and Preston together, um, you know, it's not, and it's not just about what they do on the field. I mean, their stat lines this year are trending in all the directions you want them to go. Um, or, you know, what they do for the press, providing, you know, providing an open book, providing, you know, just, they're a great interview. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really, it's mostly about what they do with, with and for their teammates um, when no one else is around. Um, you know, we've heard the story about how they sat down and um, broke, broke down their tape after the Ravens preseason game. We've heard about the dinners that they, that um, Zadarius has taken out the defense, taken the whole defensive side of the team out for you know, we've heard about, um, you know, the things that they are doing in the locker room. Um, you know, of course, we hear about them pretty well after the fact, after mm. they're meaningful, at least, um, which is fine. We yeah. don't need to know about them as they're happening. For, um, for sure. They're, they're leaders, and I think that's really key to this team. I want to talk for a second about uh, the interceptions that were uh, had in this game. Uh, and then uh, transition to the offense versus the Packers offense versus the Cowboys defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think these two topics go together really well. Um, and this is especially where I want to talk about situation football again. Um, so to start the game, uh, it really tilted in the first quarter to the Packers favor very quickly. Um, and the reason because of that was, the Packers on two of their first three drives had touchdowns. Um, but on the defensive side of the ball, the Packers on two of the first three drives for the Dallas Cowboys had interceptions. Um, one of them I would self-describe as the quote-unquote fluky variety, where Dak Prescott threw a ball. It hit, uh, I think it was Michael Gallup's hands. And it popped up in the air, and then Jair Alexander was there and just happened to be able to catch that one. And obviously, when you're a quarterback and you hit the wide receiver's hands, even though the ball was a little bit behind the Cowboys wide receiver. It was Amari Cooper. It was Amari Cooper. Even though it was a little bit behind Amari Cooper's hands, you still expect your guy to catch it. And you expect that to be a first down. But luckily for the Packers, that one turned into an interception. And then... It turned into the next drive, the Cowboys had a punt. And then the next drive after that, Dak Prescott made made another mistake and threw an interception to, I believe, Chandon Sullivan, uh, who 
kudos to Chandon for getting hit a good opportunity in one of his first uh, longest extended looks um, and being able to get a pick and show some uh, performance and production. But the reason I think it's so interesting is because the Cowboys coming into this game, they were out Tyron Smith, one of their great offensive tackles. And the Cowboys have paid a lot of their offensive line, whether it be Travis Frederick, Lael Collins, Tyron Smith, and they just paid a guy named Ezekiel Elliott this past offseason a butt ton of money. And Ezekiel Elliott is one of the best running backs in the league. And for the Packers to be able to go out, get an early lead, and for the Cowboys to have a couple of early turnovers, you start to feel that pressure as a head coach. And I got to wonder if Jason Garrett felt that a little bit. Like as the minutes kept ticking down and the score ticked up for the Packers, getting some good plays and the Cowboys making mistakes, you got to wonder if he started to feel more pressure to just throw the football. And I think that was the power of those interceptions and those early downs on defense. I mean, absolutely. They, I mean, they tilted the game like in a way you all, like you always want the game working in your favor. Um, And it it absolutely forced, uh, forced the Cowboys into passing mode, Um, you know, and they caught quite a few breaks uh, late, late in the third quarter and into the fourth quarter, which is how they were able to almost get back into it. But, I mean, by that point, they were one-dimensional. They they didn't have the clock and the you know the literal time to be able to 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 play their style of football. You know, Ezekiel Elliott pounding away, opening up you know the play action, and 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 throwing teams for a loop. And I mean, you know, they they held Ezekiel Elliott to 62 yards, but he still had a 5.2 yard average. Exactly, and he um, only had 12 carries, which. Zeke is is a 20 carry, 20, 25 touches a game guy, whether it be carries and catches or just carries. But that's what I'm talking about here a little bit. And I think the defense, one of the things we can talk about is Dak Prescott threw for over 400 yards. The DBs got burned on some plays by Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup. Um, Both had over 100 yards, I believe, in the game. Mm -hmm. And... The defense and DBs were lucky that they got some interceptions when they did because that really helped flip the script a little bit back in the Packers' favor. Otherwise, I think this could have been even a more high-scoring game if it wasn't for those plus three in the turnover margin for the Packers. Well, I mean, like the first interception occurred at Green Bay 16. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe, you know, the second one occurred at Green Bay's 28. Um, and I think the third one was a l- was also way down there because that was the one that was returned um, a chunk, <laughs> um, if I remember right. Um, yeah, or no, Kevin King caught it at the 44, but still managed to return it 15 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, especially the first two at the beginning – when, um, you know, arguably they kind of set the stage for the rest of the game, you know, those were drives that were going to at least most likely be field goals, if not touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was stopped. Yeah. And I mean, you could tell Dallas had explosive plays throughout the course of the game on their offense. Um, but 
I think this merits transitioning back to the Packers offense and versus the Dallas defense because we had sort of a a flipped script from Dallas and if you were coming into the game and saying the Packers were going to be the team that toted the rock and ran down the clock people might have disagreed with you uh but that's exactly what happened and you know we've talked about already Aaron Jones had the four touchdown game uh the Packers ran the ball overall 29 times and had really good balance and parity. They had 34 passes, 29 runs, close to 50-50 is what you aim for. Um, and in the time of possession game, Packers really dominated that and turnovers helped and running the ball, especially in the second half, helped as well. The Packers had the ball for 36 minutes, almost 37, and the Cowboys had it for about 23 minutes. So that's a big thing. Uh, the Packers won the penalty battle. It was a, the pen, penalties, flags were flying everywhere throughout the entire course of the game. Uh, the Packers had nine penalties for 78 yards against them. And then Dallas had 11 penalties for 124 yards. And one of those big Dallas penalties was a big pass play down the field that was for about 40 or 50 yards on pass interference. So that, if you want to attribute it to Packers offense, you can in my mind. Um, but penalties keep drives going. Running the ball keeps drives going. The Packers won in those two phases a game. They had the turnovers. They had. They were in the driver's seat for the entire course of the game in Jerry World. And it started early on, and the offense just kept staying in the driver's seat in my mind. Absolutely. And, I mean... You, you can't discount how much turnovers matter. Dak Prescott had more than double the passing yards of Aaron Rodgers. Like, that is wild. And then the Packers still won mm-hmm. by two and, scores. I mean, we should talk about even, and this might even be a worry point for the Packers, their leading receiver in the game was Aaron Jones, their running back, which is good. I'm all for running backs catching passes. I think it's a really good way to play the game. Um, Jones had seven catches for 75 yards, um, but nobody had over 50 yards besides Aaron Jones, and the receivers were fe- kept fairly quiet. The tight ends were kept fairly quiet. Uh, the tight ends did come up with six yard, six catches for 81 yards. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that, you know, I think I, I, I still think that part, and I still think it's correlation. I don't think it's, there's any sort of cause and effect going on here, but I think when those tight ends are producing, the Packers are winning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jimmy Graham, I thought looked more consistent this last week with three catches for 41 yards he certainly Tom, caught everything that was thrown to him, I believe. Yeah, which always helps. He he does seem to have a few drops, but, you know, he's a tight end. I um, mean, after a game where we saw him go for a lot of one-handed grabs in the end zone, it was good to see him have a clean game at three three targets gets, and three catches. Absolutely. You know, I was really impressed with Tanyan's catch. I think that was the play he got injured, and so he didn't come back. But it was a great catch, 23 yards, moved the sticks at a really critical point in the first quarter as things were starting out. My man, Mercedes Lewis, two more catches. 
He's he's racking them up this year, um, and with for a respectable 17 yards. And so if I think that if that position group can keep producing, I think will be a good indicator of how this offense is doing. Um, but I don't think they're the cause of it. I really don't. But I do think they're a reflection of it. Um, but I think, I mean, I think you're right. Uh, it was a little concerning that we didn't have any other wide receivers really stand out. However, I really appreciated how much they rode the hot hand. And I think there's something to that as, you know, you're in a game, there's a lot going on. There's a lot, just a lot of distractions, a lot of targets, a lot of goals you're making as far as trying to hit a pass, mm-hmm. pass run play ratio, spread the ball around, you know, get other, get players opportunities um, cause they're all in the NFL for a reason, but to continue to ride the hot hand and make sure, you know, and I mean, they threw the ball, you know, spread it around, mm-hmm. but, um, I, I think what you're kind of getting to is the idea that this year, the Packers can win in multiple ways yes. and they can win on defense. They've shown they can win on flipping the te- flipping the field on special teams J.K. Scott had another solid day, six punts for 297 yards and almost a 50 yards average. That's flipping the field by all accounts. Especially in um, relation to Dallas's punter. Mm-hmm. Um, he had three punts and he averaged, he had a total of 100 yards. That's a measly 33.3 mm-hmm. yards per punt. Well, he would have had more chances if we didn't have three interceptions. So but he, had, he, he would have had six punts. <laughs> but with only three chances, he should be so fresh. He's just – and it's a dome. It's closed. There's no wind in his face. He should be kicking it for miles. Um, but I think especially comparing those two averages, mm-hmm. it really shows how elite – of a punter. I think Aaron Rodgers even called him that during one of the press conferences. Called him a weapon. He is a weapon. Um, (laughs) Compare, you know, if you can go flip the field almost 50 yards every time versus 33, what are you going to take? It's true. I mean, you're going to give yourself that 17 yards in your favor. And it's a really good compliment to the defense too, giving the defense more field to work with to try to get those opportunistic plays of interceptions, sacks, holding the other team down. Um, and this week, yeah, we might not have won with our wide receiving, uh, which I don't know if we really have this all year. In the one game we lost, that was the best game for wide receivers with Devonte Adams having over 200 yards. Uh, but we won on the rushing attack, and we had good balance, good defense. We're winning in multiple ways, and I think that's the encouraging thing as the offense does continue to grow. I think one other encouraging thing this week is uh, this week, something about the NFC East, apparently um, the in-game injuries were a thing Mm. Um, similar to how they were last week. And, you know, this really wasn't an issue during the first three weeks of the season. Um, But this week it really felt like they overcame those injuries in a way that um, I, I don't know that they did as well last week. Um, I mean, Tanyan went down, Lindsley went down, um, you know, for King came out for a minute, Smith, Zadarius came out. Like there was a lot of, there were a lot of people down on the field Mm -hmm. again, which everyone hates to see. And I mean, yeah, you know, Tanyan really had only the one really standout play, you know, Patrick came in and then he had a couple errands, errant snaps to Aaron instead of Aaron. And, but you know, and Smith did end up coming back to the game every time, but you know, there was there was an overcoming of injuries 
um, I think in a way that really helped facilitate the win this week that and, and didn't last. I mean, winning on the road, although stats have shown that home field advantage in road games and home games, there isn't as much there as people like to make it up to be. But we still won on the road and we won after a loss, which is always important to bounce back quickly. Um, so I think that's great. Um, do you have any last things that you want to talk about with covering this game before you get into the Packers and the Lions upcoming matchup? Um, the only other thing that I'd like to throw out there, and I, I, we've talked about Lindsley and, and, and Patrick, but just the offensive line this week. Um, That's I really what I wanted to talk about for a second, too. The whole room has come together. Um, I really appreciated Bakhtiari's comment last week on El- Elton Jenkins, although it was said with a bit of wryness in his voice, um, what, you know, how, what is he playing like? And he was like, like duct tape. Um, but I, I don't mean, even know what that means. <laughs> I wasn't really sure what he meant by it either, but it was, uh, it was so flat and you're like, is he just, uh, but you know, I think he is like duct tape. He's well, holding the line together in that well, spot. And I think he's doing a great job. He, he is doing a great job. And if you go back and watch all of Aaron Jones's touchdowns, You'll see Jenkins had some really good blocks on one of the touchdown runs. He actually pancaked the other defensive lineman, drove him back into the end zone and flipped him. So pushed him back into the end zone and then made him lose his stance and fall backwards. And whenever you see a defensive lineman on his back in the end zone, you probably scored a touchdown if you're on offense. And that's, that's a good thing, and I think we'll continue to see him grow and continue to see him play well. He's come in, and I'm looking forward to continuing to watch him develop as a lineman. I am too. And, um, I mean, the only thing about the line that makes me a little nervous is I wonder if first and goal is our, on the one is our Achilles heel for the year. Um, first and goal on the one, quarterback sneak. That's the play. <laughs> It's about every time. Se- Honestly, it's a <laughs> that's a play in the NFL that is about seventy percent successful across the NFL. In one yard situations, it's about seventy percent successful. So, go for it. Come on, Aaron. You can do it. We believe in you. Stays like this. We wish we still had Taysom Hill, who plays for the New Orleans mm-hmm. Saints and can. He can bench press over 300 pounds. He can really catch the ball out of the backfield. And he's a quarterback, and he can run, and he looks like a running back. So those are the days we want Taysom Hill back. But Tim Boyle, bulk up. Bulk up. Get in there. Come on. Um, Yeah. Uh, Offensive line was the last thing I wanted to bring up, too. Uh, So with that, I think we should transition to the Packers and the Lions. So for those of you that don't know, a little background on the Lions. They are coming off their bye week, um, so they're well-rested. Matt Patricia, the Lions head coach, former Patriots defensive coordinator, has had an extra week to prepare for the Packers. Uh, In looking at the film for this game, I had a hard time pinning down what I thought the Lions were best at. They've had kind of an interesting schedule. They beat the Philadelphia Eagles at home. Uh, They lost against the Kansas City Chiefs in a close game. 
And all of their games have been really close this year. Uh, they had the tie with the Arizona Cardinals, who are still not a great team, but they have a new coach and an interesting uh, quarterback in Kyler Murray. They won by three against the Chargers. They won by three against Philadelphia, and then they lost by four against Kansas City. And they gave Kansas City quite the run for their money. Mm -hmm. And the question I kind of wanted to pose for this one in this matchup of the Packers versus the Lions is, is this the Packers' toughest in-division matchup? You know, (laughs) I like I I find it weird to say that, but is it? I mean... The Lions have the opportunity to take... Whoever wins this game will be in the lead of the North. And that is not something I thought we'd be saying um, after we beat both the Bears and the Vikings at the end of Week 2. But I think... You know, I think part of it goes back to the whole concept of having a chip on your shoulder. Mm -hmm. And the Lions have had a chip on their shoulder... For about 20, 25 years now. Um, And, you know, last season with their new coach was supposed to go one way and it didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not like they don't have talent. Mm -hmm. I mean, Stafford (laughs) Stafford gets a lot of grief. But, you know, of all the quarterbacks in the league. He's the second best quarterback in the NFC North. Yeah. Clearly, it's not Kirk Cousins. And it's not Mitch Trubisky right now. Well, he's out. Yeah, he's out. <laughs> you got to play to have it even be count. Um, he's, you know, and, and even beyond the NFC North, like Matthew Stafford is a quarterback that, you know, if you, you know, you had to pick a quarterback and you, you know, he's one you're going to take in the top half, probably mm-hmm. the top third. He's not, he's, he's got the skills you need. He's is got he a, great? He's got a strong arm. He can Maybe. stay in the pocket. He can throw all the throws. Exactly. He can, he's not the slowest in the world. He's not no. Big Ben, he, <laughs> who's also injured, so that doesn't count doesn't anymore count either. either. Right <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Stafford's a tough quarterback, and the Lions, well, they have had really bad years. They've also just had a lot of incompetent years. They always mm-hmm. seem to be one of those teams that seem to find ways to lose or get, to, get, to get really... like eight and eight or things like that. And it's it's tough to pin them down. They've also gotten really unlucky a lot of times. That's true. Obviously, like... we were the cause of some of that unluck <laughs> with the Hail Mary play to Richard Rodgers, but... Even thinking about that play, the Packers lost the last four matchups against the Lions. Yeah. They lost both of them last year. They lost both of them the year before that. So this is this is a team that, although the Packers have been going through some adversity the last two years, the Lions have beat the Packers. And they beat the Packers under head coach Matt Patricia, which I think is something not to discount. No. And, I mean... They've got a decent running back. They've got decent wide receivers. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hawkinson is an unbelievably unbelievably gifted tight end. I think he might be the toughest part about this matchup because he can go both ways. He can block and he can also catch the ball. And You don't know what he's going to do. He's fast. People have called him Baby Gronkowski. Uh, it's, That's a terrible nickname. Eh, 
I am <laughs> going to call that out right now. That is a terrible nickname. Ba- the ba- world can ba- do better. Baby Gronk? No. No. <laughs> well, I, but I do think Hawkinson could be one of the guys that we saw Zach Ertz have a pretty good game in the Eagles matchup against the Packers. And, and he did. Yeah. I think Hawkinson, although he's a first-year tight end and traditionally first-year tight ends don't do the best, it's a lot of growing. I think Hawkinson, he's had 166 yards this season, which is pretty good for a tight end. And he could be a key to the game against the Packers. I mean, I think he absolutely could. Um, and, I mean, unfortunately, we're going to have to probably face him for years to come. Yep. Um, I mean, but- I found it interesting looking at the game film a little bit. I watched uh, some highlights of the Lions-Chiefs and the Lions-Eagles uh, game. And the Lions also employ Hawkinson in wider screen plays, which you usually think of screen plays being bubble screens to wide receivers or uh, traditional halfback screens out of the pocket. But the Lions will do this interesting thing where they'll have the guys go out and motion out there. Two linemen will kick out. The running back will go out there. And Hawkinson will be lined up with the linemen, will kick out in the play, and he'll stand back waiting for the ball to catch and run with it, where you would usually think it's going to be the running back in that situation. So I do think that there's something there, and it could be a factor. It absolutely could be. I mean, Hawkinson was one of the players this year coming out of the draft. I actually really hope the Packers would draft. Um, I think he has a very unique skill set and is just a talented football player. Um, and I think you're right. He, he is... And he has an ability to be places a lot of players can't while also doing that. You know, he's got that balance between having the strength and size to be blocking and being on the line, while also the hands and the ability to catch and run and go like a receiver. And that's to have ability like that as a football player just makes you a good player. It doesn't matter where you're lining up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think having X factors like that, that you can move around and act as different chess pieces throughout, throughout your offense, um, just gives you a flexibility to be creative and get the other team, just get them. I mean, and we've seen, I think that's part of the reason why Packers have been trying to cross train a little bit of their faster linebackers and their cornerbacks and their safeties. Cause they want to. Try somebody's got to line up against somebody's got to line up against them who do you put on them um jair alexander he'll take it maybe i believe in you jair maybe uh we should say for a second a little bit about the injury report coming into this game at least on the packers side of it uh darnell savage uh has been in a walking boot a little bit this week it's kind of trending towards savage not playing in my mind uh, Devontae Adams is looking like he's ruled out for this game as well with the turf toe injury. And that's one of those injuries you don't want to. It's kind of like an oblique. You, you don't want to rush home from it, especially when you're a wide receiver and you have to use your feet in such a way to make fast cuts. It could be a tougher injury to come back from for that position. Um, however, Devontae has also said he is at the point where he's comfortable uh, in day-to-day walking. But like I said before, the wide receiver position requires you to cut and juke and 
really get in and out of your breaks. And that's where you want him to be fully recovered from this injury to be able to play. Um, also, uh, limited or did not participate in practice was uh, Robert Tanyan, who obviously had the injury during the game this past uh, week, and then Tony Brown, who had been out for, I believe, a week or two already. So um, that's a little bit of the injury report going into this game. Anything stand out to you from uh, those, those names and the possible impact of it uh, for the game? Um, I think the thing standing out to me right now is actually who who is a full prep full participant back at practice. We have yes. Oren, Oren Burks is is full participant. Um, mm-hmm. he was in the game, the game this past week, snaps, which was nice week. to see. It was good to see. Hopefully, his snap count starts to jump up there a little bit. And seeing Jamal Williams back in practice as a full participant, um, it's a good sign for how he's proceeding through the concussion protocol. Um, yep. we know that protocol. I mean, I don't know the protocol exactly, but we know that the protocol can, uh, uh, you know, players can be making progress and mm. kind of get stuck at different parts of it. Yep. Um, concussions so, are tricky things, um, but to have him being a full full participant in practice is a really good sign. I don't know all the steps, but I do know the last two steps for the concussion protocol are being a full participant in practice, and then the final step is getting an independent medical appointment uh check on the concussion uh mm-hmm. and that's usually the last one yeah. uh and he's cleared the concussion protocol and in his interview today said he's 100 percent ready to go so you can look forward to that in this upcoming week as well so yeah welcome back jamal welcome back jamal we're happy well ha- we're happy to have a uh, swag daddy as his uh twitter profile says uh, back in the game. Um, yeah, so anything else stand out to you with this uh, Lions-Packers matchup? You know, it's a it's another division conference conference contest. Um, these are important. These are the ones that they count, you know, they count double in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, we'll be seeing this team again. They're not, they're not going away. <laughs> they they're going to come back. Um, but, you know, it's, it's you know, I, I think of all of our division opponents, the Lions are the ones that I, I, I unanticipate the most. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that the rivalry to me between the Lions and the Packers um it doesn't have the same animosity that the games between the Vikings, because we grew up on the Minnesota border. Mm -hmm. And then just, of course, the historic tradition with the bears that those games hold. So I, I unintentionally don't bring the same passion. Yeah. And so the same attention to this game that I think to the, to the games of the lions that I think they deserve but um, ever since Ndamukong and Sue left, who had his own infamous history with the Lions, yeah, I don't have as much passion for them uh, as I do the other two division matchups, definitely. Um, the one other thing I wanted to bring up just as far as the game film and sort of... However... The, yeah, go for it. The matchups are just as important. Yeah, they're just as important. <laughs> uh, uh, one more thing on game film that I noticed was... Uh, the Lions are a really good team at 
causing forced fumbles. Uh, the Lions have seven forced fumbles to this point of the year. They've played one less game than the Packers. Uh, they're fifth in the NFL in forced fumbles. They've played one less game than most of the league. And the Packers have six forced fumbles. So if you want to make a bet, I'm betting there's going to be at least a one forced fumble. fumble? A, for, a forced fumble in this game. There's going to be at least one. Um, and I, 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 we'll see what we'll see what happens with that. Obviously, turnover margin dictates a lot of games. Um, okay, so let's get into the odds for this game. Our final predictions, X factors, and yeah, who we think is going to win, basically. Uh, so obviously, this game's at home. It's a Monday night game. The Packers are favored by four and a half, so a little bit more than home field advantage, which is usually three points. Um, the public betting percentages is actually fairly close, 47% for the Lions and 53% for the Packers. Um, and this is according to FanDuel. Uh, and like we said, the Lions are a really balanced team. I'll go first with my prediction and my X factors for the game. Uh, I, I learned from my mistake last week in betting against the Packers. I'm going to go with the Packers this time. Uh, I think the Packers are going to win. Uh, they're coming home. Uh, they're facing a division rival. They've talked a lot about how starting 3-0 in the division and beating each one of your division foes is a big thing for them. Uh, they want to be 1-0 every week, but they do recognize the division games are tougher, so I appreciate that. Um, I think that we're going to see a big game on TJ Hawkinson. I talked about what I like from him. Uh, my X factor in the game is actually going to be Elton Jenkins. Uh, I was really impressed Ooh. by him, and I think he is going to have a couple really solid blocks that spring Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. I think this is going to be another fairly balanced game between the run and the pass. I still anticipate we'll pass more than we'll run, but I do think it's going to be balanced. And I think that we're going to see a couple 10-plus, 20-plus yard runs that are going to really turn the game in our favor. And my final prediction for this game is going to be I'm going to stay close because I think the Lions are a tough team. I'm going to say 28-24, Packers will win, uh, but Lions will cover if we're talking betting world. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, Sir, what do you think? Uh, prediction for the game and X Factor. Um, I think you're right about that. I think the Packers are going to win, and I think the Lions are going to cover the spread. Um, I'm kind of liking the score more. Uh, I think 30-27 Packers. Okay. Um, I do think it's going to be close. Um, I actually kind of think the. I kind of think that the this game is going to. I think as many games do, this isn't much of a prediction that it's going to come down to turnovers. Um, and I kind of see the Lions probably getting some fumbles, but I think the, the Packers DBs are still going to get interceptions. And I think it's going to be a contest between the fumblers and the interceptors. And 
Hopefully we come out on top. <laughs> Hopefully we come out on top. The Fumblers and Interceptors Bowl. You've heard it here first from the mouth of Sarah Anderson. It really sounds like they could be two different bowling teams, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. It really does. Um, any last things you want to say to the people for this week, Sarah? Just, just kind of one last thought that's kind of been sitting with me. And uh, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers said it after the game. Um, just, just about the team this year, that they're more connected they're a more connected team this year. They're enjoying each other more and they like each other more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was really important um, because, you know, there, the, there's something about being a team and you can't be a team if you can't be a good team if you don't have camaraderie. Mm. and I do think there's a lot of teams out there and organizations with a culture of we'll force it, we'll make it, you will do this as a top-down, militaristic, ordered thing. I Um, think, I mean, I think it's interesting that every one of the games we hear one, two, three family after each of the wins. Absolutely. Um, I think that's absolutely it, and um, I think that's intentional on Matt LaFleur's part, and I applaud him for that, but... I think you you seeing it permeate from from you know statements like like this one from you know things going on in the locker room that we see that we don't see that we hear about later um there's there's an energy here and I really like it and I'm glad they like each other cuz they it, it's not they're not doing an easy thing but to be doing it for each other um gives it a purpose and gives it a motivation that is intrinsic and I think can be really deep and could really potentially take this team really far. Yep. And I think my last thing for the day will be uh, everyone invest in your 401k. That's a good thing to do. Life advice. Boom, boom. Uh, And then I will say uh, I want to bring up Lucas Patrick one more time, just because we kind of talked about him. Uh, He stepped in for Corey Lindsley at center uh, he was very complimentary, and I would say if you watch one video on the Packers website this week, watch his interview uh, in the locker room. He talked a lot about Aaron Rodgers and the, uh, how much Aaron had been helping along, been encouraging him. Uh, Patrick has been a guy who's played sparingly, has been kind of one of the fringe 53-man roster-type guys. Uh, and I thought him talking a lot about how Rogers kind of wrapped his arm around him, said, Hey, you got this helped him watching some film, uh, was very nice. Patrick was also just the most complimentary of the character of everyone in this group. He mentioned by name, Redmond, uh, Sullivan, uh, Rob and various guys that were just stepping up and being a part of this team. And I was very impressed by just how sincere Lucas Patrick was. And I think he's a good replacement for Corey for a few weeks and a good sixth offensive lineman, seventh offensive lineman when we need him. Um, all right. Uh, so that's the, that's the end of our episode here for this week of Cheesehead Hangover podcast. We both think the Packers will beat the Lions this week. So we look forward to watching the game on Monday and coming back next week and giving you what we have learned about. Any last words for the people, Sarah? 
We hope you like your team we as hope, much as Aaron likes his. And we hope that you like us as much as we like you. Have a great week, everyone. Peace.